A bit lit, celebrating research and creativity of all kinds. Luke, delighted to have you here. Really excited to discuss uh, your new book, uh, Notes on the Sonnets. Congratulations on the book. Um, we start our films by asking contributors to introduce themselves and to tell us about their work. I guess we'd particularly like to hear about the new book. But yeah, would you mind introducing yourself, please? Hi. Um, thanks for having me, Andy. Um, I'm Luke Kennard. I'm a poet and novelist and also a lecturer in the film and creative writing department at the University of Birmingham, where I live. Um, and yeah, I, my first collection of poetry came out in 2005. So yeah, so we've been sort of at this for 16 years now. So very much in that sort of mid-career slump where you start asking yourself why you're doing it <laughs> or sort of what, what it is you really are trying to get out of this um but it's good I mean I think you're always I think whether you're kind of launching a first book or you're kind of trying to write your last novel or whatever it is before you die you're still you're always in that existential uncertainty really you're always you're always wondering what it is you really wanted to say I think you probably stop I think if you actually said what you were trying to say when you started out then you would feel happy with ceasing um, but I'm quite, I, feel, I don't know, yeah, I feel quite happy with where I am with writing at the moment. I feel more confident in some ways or more like, uh, I don't know, there are enough people who sort of get the voice or the tone or something that I feel like I can kind of push that in some ways and have some fun with that. So yeah, I, yeah, I'm feeling, in so, yeah, in some ways feeling like I'm just still feel like I'm just sort of starting out. I feel like I'm just starting to get better at this and in other ways kind of yeah it depends on the day I suppose sometimes I feel like I've just played out and I've done everything I'm capable of doing but it's yeah I don't know but this I suppose this book kind of came out of that a little bit came out of that um in passe between trying to find the next project I started doing this as just a um just almost a sort of game with myself in a way it was between projects i've been writing quite a lot of prose poems anyway and i was supposed to be i had some research time and i was supposed to be working on jonah as a follow-up to a poetry book i did called cain so another kind of old testament character with a sort of strange take on it and a strange process for coming up with some new work and new stories around it um and it wasn't quite working i was doing some reading and research but the, the writing wasn't really happening and i wrote the first poem in Notes on the Sonnets at a party, and at a party where I was feeling quite out of place. I generally like parties, but this was a party I'd ended up at with lots of um, tech bros and sort of people from the video games industry. And, and, and they were sort of, I don't know, a lot of the time they were just showing each other things on their mobile phones, and I just got quietly drunk by the oven and imagined... <laughs> <laughs> imagined a scenario that I was both happier and less happier in and wrote that on my phone because everybody else was just playing on their phones um and and then I just carried on really from that I started with the sonnet 66 and just kind of carried on picking sonnets more or less at random and trying to pick the less well-known ones and just trying to test out this method like can I just read these sonnets read them over a couple of times familiarizing myself with the notes a little bit and um, you know, the notes in whatever given text you have maybe read around them a little bit if 
the sonnet is at first obscure. Some of them do feel really obscure when you first read them. And then just try and, and just try, then just try and improvise something or just try and take one image or one particular tone of voice or one, even just one concept from the particular sonnet in question and just write something, just write a little prose poem that in some way corresponds to it, that in some way reacts to it. And that quickly turned from just this nice little thing I was doing to try to just break kind of deadlock I was feeling with writing into my usual way, into something that was just completely obsessive. It was like, I'm going to do all 154 and I'm not going to stop until um, I've done all 154 and I'm going to do like two a day minimum until I've finished. And that produced really uneven results. There were some poems I was really delighted with and usually if I was happy with it because I was just thirsty for attention, I would like post it on Twitter straight away. Um, so that became part of the process in a way. Every few weeks or so, I'd write one I was happy with and post it on Twitter. Um, and then just kind of stuck to it until I had 154 and then wasn't sure what to do with them. Knew that at least two thirds of them needed completely rewriting or reapproaching. But it was a kind of improvisatory enough technique that that felt okay. It felt fine just to be like, some of these don't work, scrap them have another run at the same sonnet with some I did like six or seven different attempts at a, at a, at a response to the sonnet in question and some of them kind of came out all right the first time great thank you um if it is a slump it's a very impressive one I have to say um <laughs> I love the idea of writing it in the midst of of tech tech bros at, at the start of the book you talk about um you kind of introduce the reader to the book and saying that the order of a sonnet's is determined by events. That's the events of a house party. But I like the idea that maybe Shakespeare himself was kind of producing some of these poems from his own versions of slumps and perhaps surrounded by early modern tech bros. You never know. <laughs> um, and think about how those things match onto each other. So we'll we'll delve and we'll dive into um, into lots of that. Um, and I should say for a bit, li um, listeners and, and viewers, we've made a film uh, previously with the novelist Catherine Fox, who also writes her novels via blog posts and puts them up on Twitter. So if anyone's kind of interested in the kind of thing Luke is doing, I um, commend um, Catherine Fox's film to you for other, other kind of um, kinds of creative writing happening in that way. But yes, let's kind of unpick and think through um, some of these uh, some of these things. I mean, it's interesting that the title talks about notes on the sonnets and it gives us Shakespeare's alarming eyes peeking out at us on the cover, but actually the title isn't name check checking Shakespeare. And so the kind of the books there he is, there he is staring at me, terrifying. I never thought I'd have a Zoom call with Shakespeare. Um, uh, yes, yeah, kind of Shakespeare's kind of strange presence here. Um, I, I'm really interested to talk to you about the kind of Shakespeare Kennard relationships happening across the book and between um, between the poems. And I don't know how you feel about it having produced this number of responses now, but. I can't, I, I'm quite pleased I wasn't Shakespeare's friend because can you imagine when he said, shall I write another sonnet? <laughs> mm -hmm. Shall I write another play about someone called King Henry? And shall I write another yeah. sonnet? And he'd be like, no, dude, chill out, sit down, have a sofa. Um, yeah. <laughs> like was Shakespeare on lockdown, do we think? Kind of the levels of thirst and the levels of neediness and pestering that some of these poems kind of <laughs> manifest. I wonder what it felt like just to be in dialogue with that kind of a voice across such a number of poems. Yeah, yeah, no, that's a really good question. I think like they're quite, um, I think when I was initially talking to my editor, Tom Shivers at Pen to the Margins of Badger, I was kind of saying like, these, they're sort of, they're quite insolent in some ways or impudent, I'm not sure quite which nuance I want to go for there between insolence and impudence. But I think I, I don't like, I don't like work 
that is too enthralled to the great writing of the past and to the great writers of the past. Fine to be enthralled to the great writing, but like the great writers sort of turn them into these mythological figures and sort of idealise and valorise them in some way. I don't know. I don't, so I don't like poems that are like sort of pub tribute acts to mm. the Eagles or whatever. I don't know. I've always kind of found that annoying and like it just feels like a writer trying to sort of borrow some of the glamour from a great that's you know so as so, a, a, a sort of so thought kind of great writer of the past it's like if you're going to write something that is in dialogue with the past then kind of mess around with it and kind of have some you don't yeah you know like i suppose i also dislike work that is completely kind of disrespectful and is just making fun of everything and just not and actually completely shallow and not that interesting but i like i, I so i thought of, <sighs> To kind of, you know, it would be just absurdly arrogant in a way to kind of say, like, I'm going to write some new versions of these of these great canonical works of, of of literature. But at the same time, like, why not pretend to be that arrogant? Why not pretend to be that ridiculous and kind of try and do that? So at times they're quite argumentative. They're quite kind of. There are things that I suppose there are things that do genuinely annoy me in the sonnets. Like there are, and there's reference in one of the pieces and one of the responses. There are so many response. So many um, references to. Um, wrinkles mm. and the sort of physical kind of aging process in this really um, boring way, like <laughs> sort of really, like in a way that just in a way that feels no more, no more subtle or intelligent than than the kind of um, military industrial beauty complex, you know. The kind, you know, it's sort of it's, it's it, they, are, they are like skin cream adverts some of them it's just like like the worst thing you could possibly have is is a is a wrinkle and it's just like my god like what is this is so there are there are certain there are ways of talking and ways of thinking within the sonnets that i find stupid and wrong so it's like you know you can sort of see work as great literature and still find what is stupid and wrong about it and kind of point that out i think that's part, that's sort of part of the process but kind of enjoy that while you're doing it as well i guess and just say like well this is this is like the the most tedious way of seeing the aging process. Sort of saying, "Ah, oh, your your light is dimming. You are no longer the great beauty you once were." It's like, my goodness, you know, what a, what a like you're sort of not used to. <laughs> People would be embarrassed to say something like that now, and rightly so. And it's like it's sort of there. It's in this. It's in this sort of classic work. But so there are things that I felt like needed critiquing, but also there are things about us and our age that need critiquing as well so kind of in juxtaposing these sort of ways of these different methods of analysis these different ways of thinking often kind of circular and frustrating ways of thinking often demonstrably incorrect ways of thinking that are just as prevalent now as they were in elizabethan times just in different ways and different nuances but that i wanted to kind of mash that together i think there was one at one point i got asked a question about the book and i kind of described it as like this is like these are like the sonnets if they were narrated by one of Shakespeare's fools. So rather than the sort of the sort of wounded um, romantic player of the the speaker of the the original sonnets, it's it's more like, what if we introduce because I love the fools in Shakespeare's plays. I really I live for those scenes if I'm reading or watching one. And and that particular voice that kind of will go from kind of mocking everything to kind of deep sincerity by sentence to sentence and and has kind of 
as well as being sort of the, the voice is sometimes quite sort of faux naive, the voice is sometimes extremely grumpy or sort of willfully obtuse. And then it also has these moments of absolute clarity. It always has these, these, these sort of moments of just, just, just a piercing insight into the rest of the play that the other characters aren't quite capable of. I realise I'm making a rather grand case for what I'm doing, but it's like, but kind of some of those tactics, I think, the kind of tactics that Shakespeare uses in writing The Fools. Yeah. Like, I wanted to kind of try and bring that to love poetry in a way as well, because love poetry is ridiculous. And is idealized, and is like, and is, and, and is hard mm. to write, and hard to make convincing. And I think for people who haven't really spent much time reading the sonnets, they just see them as, as they see them as these great, great works of love poetry, rather than what they are, which is great works of infidelity and jealousy and sort of self sabotage. I mean, that's the, the, those are the, sort of the, great, the main themes, really, that come through when you read 154. Mm. The, and, and the love that is expressed often isn't good. <laughs> it's, it's not great. It's often, quite, it's often quite toxic, to use a contemporary term for that. So that felt like it needed unpacking and needed kind of worrying and writing about as well, to me. Yeah, the writing about love in, these, in Shakespeare's poems... Um, uh, is not often very consent focused. Um, and yeah. you're talking about kind of the interest in, in wrinkles and aging and this obsession with demanding people have children because the voice of the, yeah. poet, of the poem would like them to. I should say yeah. um, my very first experience at a massive Shakespeare conference went to a North American conference of 2000 Shakespeareans in a, in a big old theater, a big old hotel. And the hotel was also hosting a beauty cream conference. And I kept going to the wrong rooms, expecting conversations about Shakespeare and someone would say, oh, honey, your skin is terrible and would be rubbing things in before I knew what was happening to me. So I, I have lived that particular poem, whereas you say Shakespeare's kind of product placement of beauty. Yes. Is it possible to talk a little bit more about that kind of Shakespeare canard connection and, and you've hinted at this already in terms of some of the prose poems are in argument or in dialogue with some of the poems some of them are thinking in terms of a kind of um the, the full voice or persona from Shakespeare's plays like some of some of the prose poems seem to presuppose that the sonnet has just been read aloud and in fact of course the first prose poem kind of gives us that way in but but others seem to be responding I'm going to say simply, but I don't mean that in a demeaning way, but they, um, they're responding in a much more laser-like focused way to a particular word. And in one of them, the word seems to be the word so. In another one, the word seems to be the word the. Sometimes it would be very surprising and provocative. Kind of verbal, <laughs> verbal details from the sonnets, which will spark the, the response. Do you mind talking us through some, some of those different choices? Yeah, yeah the, there are... I guess there are kind of layers because sometimes it would just be a particular location or object even or just the or an animal you know so the ones whenever whenever a horse comes up in the sonnets I'll be like oh great I can bring the sad horse and the happy horse back in now which were just in one poem initially and then became running characters throughout yeah. it and I would just take that as a, as a trigger and again and then still try and I think I, I would just reread and reread the poem and especially if my response thing wasn't really working I would go back to the sonnet again and think okay so what can I layer in what can I kind of bounce ideas off in the in the actual sonnet mm. um but sometimes it would be something more formal and sometimes there's a sort of relationship to the um the formal structure of the sonnet to kind of syllables to 
rarely to rhyme, but sometimes to the sort of use of rhyme or to the kind of the particular kind of rhyme that's being deployed in 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 any given sonnet. But yes, yeah, sometimes the refrains and the and the and the repetitions as well, and the so one is very much kind of just takes off from that and mm. builds on builds on that. And it, and that's yeah, so certain things was sort of more foregrounded in the in the in the initial writing and quite quite often they were they were sort of rapid responses quite often mm. the first drafts for sure would just be like right read this and then just then just write you know just go go and write and that and I sort of had to find that way of making that plausible within the book as well and making that seem like so somehow it all taking place at this party it all kind of happening in this place where um and it's never sort of apart from in that first poem where the where the narrator meets a man who claims he's memorized all the songs by heart. Um that does come back a couple of times in, but otherwise it's sort of they're just sort of in his head mm. apart from that. There's not someone else at the party who recites a particular sonnet and then he has some thoughts about that. It's it's more just um something happens at the party he's introduced so he has a conversation with somebody he momentarily falls in love with somebody and to him it feels pertinent to that particular sonnet so it's kind of so it's backwards the speaker in the poem is doing things the other way around to what i was doing when i was writing them basically the speaker in the poem is ruminating on them and thinking this thing that's just happened makes me think of this thing in the in the sonnet but it's all quite i guess all sort of low in the mix sometimes and lower than lower 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 in the mix sometimes than than others what the what the links to the sonnet are i could kind of i don't know i want to do this kind of um i want to do this kind of punishing reading where i read all of the sonnets and the responses just in 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 the order they are in this book which would be about four hours i think (laughs) ideally i'd like it to be in an actual theater where people can't escape (laughs) they can just show themselves out and claim they have wi-fi problems um, superb. I mean, if you don't want to do that in the theatre, we'll happily host that on a bit lit. That sounds fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, please. Um, I mean, you, you raised the issue of uh, kind of, of form and um, like Shakespeare has a sonnet about two thirds of the way through where he basically seems to be saying, oh God, why am I writing yet another sonnet? And um, he's not just committed to sonnets, he's committed to a very particular version of the sonnet. Um, and you working in a very different form perhaps have more freedom of movement, but Shakespeare certainly doesn't take the freedom of movement that he has. You know, he's very locked into certain kinds of quatrains and couplets and rhyming schemes, et cetera. Um, whereas your, your work is so much more free-flowing and experimental and explorative of the room of the space of the prose poem and the room of the sentence. Um, the, the, the voice across the book is really wedded to kind of almost aphoristic short sentences, yeah. but also into these fabulously copious sentences which often get hooked on particular I don't know if it's in, inspired by the tech bros but kind of you know c- certain kinds of knowledge-based details esoteric <laughs> knowledge-based details suddenly take the, the the voice of the poet um across multiple lines in, in a single sentence um yeah I'd love to hear more about the kind of formal energy of these of these poems yeah no that's a really nice question yeah and that is kind of the rhythm of it I think it's something that the prose poem gives you in a way one of the gifts of it as a form is that modulation and that um pivoting between 
your own different voices, but also quite in that kind of New York school kind of way, as John Ashbury and Barbara Guest, where you can just suddenly introduce another register to the poem, but through kind of careful juxtaposition, still make it flow, still have it flow. So it's like you can be just in the middle of a drunken conversation, but suddenly just something about the early church mystics or or the chemical composition of boron or something, you know, just something, just some little segue in. And it's kind of, an, and it's and it's a delicate balance because you can get that so wrong and, and then it just comes across as irritating, zany, surrealism it's probably my favorite writers to work with like whether it's students or just people i'm reading a manuscript for are are people who's who work in that field and who work with quite sort of absurdist or surrealist narrative because i feel like that's where i'm able to be of some help because i can say like where where it's just drifting off into something arbitrary Mm. and something that just loses the reader because anything can happen so therefore who cares you know it loses tension so maintaining that tension is really It's weird and it's often something that's really sort of poem by poem, case by case. You can see where something is going wrong. You can see where it's just losing that focus. Um, I love that example of the, yeah, of the poem where, where Shakespeare is just so tired. I'm so tired of writing these sonnets. Why am I still doing this? Because that comes up in um, uh, Pushkin's Eugene Onegin as well. Um, there's a, like, about, again, about two thirds of the way through there's a Pushkin sonnet where he's just like, why am I doing this? I'm so sick of this. <laughs> and he talks about the ducks taking off from a lake that he's strolling around um, as if they too are sick of his poetry. Um, and and that, 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 that sense of exhaustion, I find really interesting as well. That sense of like, you commit to a project and then you have to see it through. Um, and there are going to be many moments throughout it, like any creative undertaking really, where you're just like, why did I start doing this? It's that moment where you just have to hold your nerve and you just have to carry on with it because you're too yeah. far in to give up at this point. Yeah, 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 yeah. Fascinating. Um, this is sort of bringing me to another question, which is sort of two questions at once, so I apologise in advance. But um, I don't know if you're aware of um, this book that only recently came out, and I ended up reading um, your book directly after it, but Paul Evanson and Stanley Wells have recently re-edited uh, the sonnets, not just from the sonnet collection, but from sonnets across Shakespeare's theatrical work as well, in in yes. what they think of as a compositional order. So in the order that yeah. it was working. Yeah. So it was really nice to kind of be working with you with your narrative structure of the party, and then Paul and Stanley thinking about the narrative structure essentially of Shakespeare's um of Shakespeare's life. And I was particularly kind of interested as I read your um your prose poems that they themselves don't have titles and don't have numbers. So I, I wonder, you know, if you were to refer to one of your prose poems, how would you refer to it? At what, how would you identify it within the space of the, of the book? Is it, is it the Shakespeare sonnet and its first line and the numbering of the sonnet, which would kind of pull us to a particular, particular moment? That's sort of question yeah. one. And then question two is really about that notion of the party as narrative um, and what that then brings you to. Again, you were just talking about the kind of energy that pulls a reader through a text, the tension. Um, yeah, um, so kind of two questions. One a slightly slightly dull one, and I apologise, but I'm really interested in just how we think of these poems individually and how we would refer to them, what sort of life they have outside of the apparatus of Shakespeare's sonnets. It feels like they're deliberately kind of identified by the sonnet um, by Shakespeare, perhaps. And then, yes, the, the wider narrative of your collection. Yeah, no, I, I think with the physical book, now that it's out, I tend to just use the page number because that's easy because they're all in a weird order and they're all in this weird reactive order which i could say some more about but 
but the when i was writing them originally they were just called sonnet 22 mm. sonnet 104 sonnet and that was a slightly i suppose uh again just a sort of slightly tongue-in-cheek thing in a way because obviously they were prose poems but um and as i was just posting them online i probably posted about 12 of them online the ones that i was happy with they, that would just be like sonnet six and here's a prose poem sort of thing um the structure of the book was something I talked to my editor about quite a lot. Um, and it was his really good, I think, decision to sort of format it, format it more like prose, more like prose fiction than like prose poetry. Because I always really, I always like to kind of squash the margins with a prose poem. So it looks slightly different, it feels slightly different when I'm writing it up as well. But these are sort of, you know, this is sort of much more like, traditionally formatted as fiction in a way on the page. Um, and it was also his decision to have the first line of the sonnet and the number in brackets. So I was rather than like a big number, which I'd originally in my original manuscript just had like large numbers above the above the above the prose poems. Um, and it was kind of in that editorial process really, but I was like, okay, this is really nice. It's really nice to foreground that relationship, even though um, the opening line of the sonnet quite often is not exactly what the, the prose poem is riffing on. It's still quite, it's still quite enjoyable. Sometimes it is, sometimes it's direct kind of the, what the, what the, son, what the sorry, what the prose poem references appears in that first line. Quite often it doesn't, but it's still kind of fun, even when it doesn't to be like, okay, but how could it maybe do that? Or maybe just go, you know, cause all of the sonnets are available at the touch of a button online so I got it I sort of I don't really have any time for people to say like oh do I have to read all of them it's like, well, they're really short and you literally just have to google sonnet 123 and it's there in front of you in like several different iterations you could be reading it right now it would take you 25 seconds <laughs> so it's like this kind of I don't I don't get I never get that I think it's like it's it's sort of inverse elitist this sort of idea that this stuff is so accessible <laughs> it's so kind of there it's like it's like so why not play around with it why not use it you know you're not required to like study them but like you might as well have a look at the original if you want to kind of get more out of the prose poem or even just try and identify what exactly i'm on about but i hope that they kind of stand alone as well and i hope that they kind of work just as individual pieces um but with the, the party thing that form of the party so that's i've talked to some friends about this quite a bit there's something of the sense of community, the communal nature of the party, the kind of chaos in that sense, but the fact that this is a group of people put together, this is a group of people with varying opinions and subject positions who are compressed into this small space, into the same house or building or space. Um, and maybe that, that that polyphony, although, I mean, you know, Shakespeare was such a sort of polyphonic and multitudinous kind of writer anyway but there's there's something in the perhaps in the, that slightly sort of sealed nature of lyric poetry as it's sort of developed that is quite individualistic and is quite um hermetically sealed so just immediately blasting that open and being like okay so here's a because I, I mean the, the original sonnets themselves also, you know, the, the speaker's often obsessed with how what people think of him sometimes it's really defiant sometimes like, i don't care i don't care what you think of me i've done i've done really terrible things and i don't care 
don't care. Um, and other times he frets a lot over his reputation and how he's coming across and what people might be saying about him behind his back and that sort of thing, which is very human. We all do that. We all are obsessed with that. <laughs> sort of. But like plunging the speaker into a party where they're constantly being talked over and interrupted or trying to express something, usually failing to. Um, one thing that was, you know, for one thing that was funny and, and, and also I just think it, it, it changes it changes the focus in a way that really interested me. It changes the focus. It explodes it outwards into something where you do actually have to, you're constantly dealing with the other or being the other. And, 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 and I felt like that was a sort of a kind of intervention, but also one that was quite true to the original sequence as well. Yeah. In a weird sort of way. Yeah. No, that's fantastic. That's really helpful. Um, Luke, for reasons of time, I think we should wrap up our conversation there, but I like to think we always talk too much. Sorry. No, it's great. I think we have tantalized um, our audience who will be rushing off to read uh, both Shakespeare and Kennard, as you've encouraged them to do both of both of those um, kinds of reading. Um, and we end our films by asking what the word literature means to you. You're welcome to answer that question as personally or as professionally as you like. You might want to think about what the person speaking in your book has to say about that question and a reading of Shakespeare, I don't know, but yeah, where does that word sit for you as just as a term? I think, and this is maybe part of why I like the prose poem so much, but I think it's just, it's text. Mm. And that can be a text for performance or just to be read quietly or kind of both. I think some of my, favourite kind of events I've been involved in have been almost quite, imp not improv, but sort of put together quite quickly, where it's like some collaborations between writers, um, where you just come up with something new and then you perform it soon afterwards. It's kind of, that that for me kind of demythologizes the process a little bit. And obviously in my teaching job, I'm always requiring my students to respond quite quickly to things. I'll give them a prompt, I'll give them some work that we'll look at, we'll discuss, and they'll be like, right, okay, here's, here is the concept write something for 15 minutes now and really frequently I'm really dazzled by what they come up with in a really short space of time it's often enviably good and, 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 and interesting and strange and, and it's that so it's that so sorry my kids are squealing in the background it's 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 so it's just yeah I think it's it's text I mean eventually you have to sort of commit to something you have to commit to a particular form and just say, well, actually, this could be a novel. Even this is this is like a little prose poem that I came up with as a result of a writing exercise in 10 minutes. But it's got an idea in it or a character that actually could be a whole novel. And then you commit and you you work on that. Um, but I think what it means to me is just is just it's completely central to, to the way that I see the world, the way that I exist in it. It's completely makes it sound like it's sort of a pressure valve or something like that but it's but it's it's sort of I can't really imagine being alive and not writing mm. and I kind of have the privilege of working with people who feel fairly similar one way or another and who sort of who which is it's sort of more than just an outlet it's that you sort of you want you want to you want to create something you want to create something that other people can lose themselves or find themselves in. And so there's that collaborative process, I think, between 
writer and reader always. Um, but I think that's it. That's a really wishy-washy answer, but that's, that's, <laughs> that's really helpful. And um, I, when I was reading the the collection, I was really enjoying reading them aloud. They're incredibly fun to read aloud. Um, so I, nice. had, I had people rushing in from the room next door to make sure I was all right as I roared a blaster <laughs> at various bits. Um, and the sad talking, I, mean, I I was mostly laughing, but the sad horse is quite infectious. I, I, I the sad horse made me sad. So um, <laughs> thank you, but also no thank you for uh, introducing <laughs> the sad horse into my into my life. It's a fabulous collection, Luke. Congratulations. I'm really. Um, excited to sit out in the world um, and thank you very much thank you really appreciate it Andy. thanks